Anyway, as I was saying, we've had a really good week. We've had the week off, relaxed. What we decided to do at the middle of the week, we thought, we'll go away for a few days, go to the lakes. We used to go to the lakes an awful lot. It's the kind of places we like, you know, the, the quaint, picturesque villages and all the nice activities going around the water. There's lots of wildlife and taking pictures. I took my camera. I forgot to take pictures, but I took my camera. <laughs> And, but one thing that struck me, we went to Oxhead this time. You know, we've been to Oxhead many times, but we've never stayed in Oxhead before. So this is what we thought we'd do. Lovely little quaint village, as I've just said. Um, but what struck, us, struck me this time was how little bit run down it was. I mean, first of all, it was chucking it down. That means raining heavily in Wigan. <laughs> and it was absolutely bouncing. So there was puddles everywhere. In fact, we nearly didn't get there. We were having to drive really slowly as the water was reaching over the wheels of the car. Um, and so we, we got in there and we're thinking, we're not going out for the rest of the day. We'll stay here in the village. So we was having a walk around, remembering all the quaint little shops and cafe bars. And, and we thought, well, we'll go and have a look. I think there was about four shops. And, um, you know, they, they were nice. Nice shops, and there were long-standing ones. A lot of the other little ones had um, kind of... They couldn't sustain themselves. It was, it was a bit, you know, there was empty properties. Some properties was a little bit tired, needed a little bit of paint, needed a little work. Wayne, as always, pointed out the potholes. We walked round the village saying, there's a pothole there, they need to get that sorted. You know, and I'm saying, oh, look at this building. So... It, but as well as I'm walking around and I was reminded about how, how sad that really is because it was such a lovely place and it reminded me of a story that I'd heard years ago about a village in Switzerland um, and I, I have a picture, there we go I don't know whether that's the actual village or not but it's, it was very like that anyway and it was a beautiful village by a lake same as, the, as in the Lake District Tourists would flock every summer to this village. So there'd be all kinds of water sports. There was fishing, um, all the skiing, and I don't know, what, whatever it is you do on water. I don't usually go there. Um, there's lots of walks, lots of wildlife, photography, and absolutely wonderful. And this village thrived year on year as it was, as I say, such a huge tourist attraction. But... When it wasn't the holiday season, the village struggled. You see, there wasn't really any jobs and there wasn't really much money when the tourists weren't there. You know, you could open your shop, have your gift shop, selling all the souvenirs, but the locals don't really want them. And, and same with the cafe bars. You know, there's only a certain, you know, 27 cafes. You're not going to go to them all in the same day, are you? You can try, but I don't think you will. And so this one particular season they decided, well, we need to really have a look at our how we can make some cutbacks, how we can manage this better. So that all the villagers got together, you know, a meeting and decided what could they do. So they were thinking, well, we won't offer as many activities. We won't have as many boats, um, you know, and perhaps we'll charge a bit more for the hire of the boats than we, we have been doing so as we can get a bit more money in that way. Um, you know, so lowering the overheads where they can. And... Um, and as they were going through all the, all the things, all the costs, they, they discovered that the village paid a man who lived at the top of the hill a small amount of money. And they thought, well, what, what are we paying him for? Who, who is this man? And somebody said, he's, he's the keeper of the spring. 
So at the top of the hill, there was a lovely spring, which fed into the lake. And, and this man's job was just to, you know, check it and remove any rotten leaves, any dead animals, and keep it clear. And that, that's all he did. He said, well, what are we paying him money for do that for? We don't need that. We can make a saving there. Let's stop that right now. So that's what they did. The trouble was, once they stopped paying him, he stopped working. He stopped clearing the spring. He stopped getting those dead rotten leaves or the dead animals. He left them there. And yes, it took a long time, but eventually the spring got polluted, which in turn polluted the lake, which then the tourists that was coming, and you know, the water wasn't as inviting anymore. It wasn't that beautiful blue colour. The, the wildlife weren't there, the birds, the ducks, the swans, they, they was no longer there. So the tourists was getting less and less each year. And the, the, the whole village became degenerated. It became, you know, just nothing. And it wasn't making any money now. All because they didn't value what this spring keeper did. They didn't value the little that he did. You know, it didn't sound like he was doing a lot, but actually it was a very important job. And, you know, sometimes we don't value the things that we do because we think it's not a very important job. I just work in the cafe. I stand at the door and I say, hello, anybody can do it. Well, some people are better at that than others. And it's an, actually, it's a vital job because when we all come in here, we want to feel welcomed. We want to have a nice drink. So... You know, don't undervalue those little jobs that you do or that we do. They're all very important. This village undervalued them, this spring keeper. They didn't think he was important. And actually, because, he, because of that, the whole village lost their income because of the little that that man had. And, and that's what we were hearing this morning. That we can be world changers. You know, one step at a time, one job at a time. And, that, and that's what's been on my heart all week the little that you can do you might not think it's important but believe you me it is it has a knock-on effect and you'll do a little the next person will do a little before you know it we're doing great and mighty things and there's a story in the bible which um, is about somebody who nearly missed the little that they had and it's found in two kings chapter four i think we might have the verses coming up but i will be reading that in a little minute, and what I want to just give a bit of a background. It's the story of a woman who's a widow and she has two sons, and they're in financial trouble. Her husband had just died just before this chapter starts, leaving her in debt. Now, in ancient times, and I know sometimes, you know, even now, if your partner dies and leave in debt, then that debt can fall on you if you've not been very careful. But in ancient times, it always fell on you. And how did you pay that debt? You either had to give yourself as a slave or your children, or maybe both. So it wasn't that they come and took your house. They took you until that debt was paid. And then if it was a loan shark, like we hear of some of the loan sharks, that debt was never going to be paid. You was going to be a slave for the rest of your life. And you may or may not be treated well, depending on who the creditors are. And so this was the position that this woman found herself in. There was, the creditors were threatening to take her sons into, as slaves. That was their right. They wasn't doing anything wrong. They wasn't being mean. That was how it worked. And she cried out to Elisha, the prophet Elisha. 
Now, if ever there was a family in need, going in trouble, this was, this was one. Your husband had died, got all this debt, two young boys, going to be slaves. The woman could have been saying, what am I going to do? God, why have you done this to me? That's what I'd be saying. Instead of like saying, Lord, help me, um, you know, show me a sign or send somebody to help me or, or show me what to do. I'd be saying, why have you allowed this to happen to me? I've been good. I've been with my husband and we've been faithful to you and, and you've put me in this position. Why have you done it? That's what I'd be doing. And if we're all honest, that's probably what we would all be doing, at least initially, at least to start with. But no, this woman, she turned to Elisha. And in the opening words, we'll read, we read this. One day, the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. You see, we know from that passage that Elisha knew this man. It says... It says, you know, you know how he served the Lord. Not you've heard of him and because he was a prophet or because he worked for the church. You, Elisha, know how he worked and how he served. You know, there was a time previous to this with the prophet Elijah. He cried out, and you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 19. He cried out to God, am I the only one left? See, it was troubled times. There were people worshipping other gods and, and all kinds was going on. And Elijah had been crying out, Lord, am I the only one left? God answered him and said, no, there are a few. A few, and actually I think it tells us there were 7,000 prophets that had never bowed or worshipped another god or Baal as it was. And this man was one of those. He was one of the 7,000. He hadn't bowed the knee. He'd faithfully served the, the Lord. His wife had stood by him, faithfully worshipping the Lord. The two sons stood with them, faithfully worshipping the Lord. This was a real good, strong Christian family. They was doing all the right things. And what happens? He dies, leaving a load of debt. And, and the woman finds herself in this hopeless situation. But how many of you know that there is no situation so hopeless that God can't help you? That's right. So Elisha says to her, let's, read, let's pick it back up. On verse 2, Elisha says, what can I do to help? Now we can read that two ways. We can read it as Elisha saying, what can I do? Or we can read it as, what can I do? How can I help you? And I believe that that's what Elisha's saying. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And then he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? Now, he's, what he's asking is, what have you got that can make money? You know, because sometimes we, we think, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Can you... I have no clue, I can't think. And so Elisha's giving her something, giving her a thought process. What have you got in the house? What have you got in the house? What can make money? And she starts saying, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing. And then almost as an afterthought, she says, nothing at all except 
a flask of oil, of olive oil. That's all she had, but she remembered. I've got, so she started off, I've got nothing. How many times have you done that? You think, I, I don't have anything. I don't know anything. I can't do anything. Except I can stand at the door and welcome somebody in. I can help out in the kitchen. I can put chairs out. I can, or at work, you know, the jobs that you do at work. I don't know what you all do, but, the, you know, you're, you're all experts in your field. I have no doubt. I, I always say, I'm just a receptionist. No, I'm a receptionist. I'm a good receptionist, actually. Not just. None of us are just anything. We're not just a parent, just a mother, just, you know, you might be a stay-at-home mum because you're lucky enough that you've been able to stay at home to look after your children, but you're not just a stay-at-home mum. In fact, you've got one, a really tough job, and we all know that, those of us that have been there especially. So we need to get away from that thought process. It's not, I've got nothing. This, this woman nearly missed it. She nearly said, I've got nothing. Got nothing. Then she said, except a flask of oil. Just one flask of oil. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, what's good's one flask of oil? But what does Elisha say to her? He says, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbours. So he could, she, you know, it's possible she could have borrowed one or two full jars of oil, you know. God didn't say that. Elisha, through, through Elisha, he didn't say that. He didn't say, go to your neighbour and borrow some oil and you'll be able to, you know, have more. God doesn't want us to lean heavily on someone else. He doesn't want us to get by. He wants to give abundantly. He wants to fill your emptiness. So you've got these empty jars. God wants to fill them. So she gets these empty jars. And then it says, Then go to your house and your sons and shut the door. Close the door. It's very interesting there, isn't it? Close the door. Why would God say close the door? What? What's the importance of that? Well, that's how we're supposed to be. You know, sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the situation that we're in that these creditors these are coming and they're going to take my two sons as slaves or whatever it is. I'm about to lose my job. I'm going to be made redundant. Um, my marriage is on the rocks. I don't know what situation you're in, but we get so desperate. And, and that's when things take over. And what God's saying is, close the door on those thoughts. Close the door. There's going to be a gap. There's going to be a gap. That gap is the hardest place to be in. Believe you me, because let me tell you, I'm not ashamed to say this, but I'm in that gap right now. And I've been in this gap for a while. But I'm, I am now forcing the door closed. You see, what I did, I've let, I allowed the door to stay open just a little bit, just ajar, which kind of says, yes, but how's this going to happen? I, I, it can't, nothing can happen. It, it's impossible. That, do you know that's a spirit of poverty? And I think we all do do it. And I hold my hands up, I do. I, that's, but I'm forcing that door closed. I am closing the door and I am going to hang on. Because what, does, what happens behind this door? I mean, for this woman, what could have happened with her in that gap? 
creditors could have come. They could have took her sons. They'd have been slaves. How would she have got back to them? Close the door. But then listen to what he says. Shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So you know the story. I don't need to keep on reading it, really. She starts pouring. She has a little flask of oil. And she starts to pour it in the first jar. And it fills, so she gets another jar. This little flask has filled. Maybe it was a little jar. I don't know. Maybe it was a big jar. But then it fills a second and a third and a fourth. And it keeps going. For as long as there are empty jars... The oil keeps going and it keeps pouring. And the only time that oil stopped when there was no more jars left. So now, her situation still hasn't changed. She still owes a lot of money. The creditors, creditors can still take her sons. But now she's got a lot, of, a lot of oil. You know, that's what happens with us. Your little bit of something, your little bit of whatever it is. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You get more and more and more. Once you start pouring out your gift, it grows. And that's what was happening with this lady. Now, then Elisha says to her, go and sell it all. Pay off the, all of the debt and, you can, and your sons can live off the rest. See, it wasn't, I'm going to give you enough. I'll clear your debt and then you're on your own. It, it was no, pay off your debt live off the rest, God gives abundantly. Now, as I say, there was that gap. She needed to wait for that gap. But while she was... It's like planting a seed, isn't it? There's a gap between planting the seed and seeing it grow. But there's a lot going on underneath, isn't there? We all have a little oil, each and every one of us. And I know, I know many of you are thinking, well so-and-so they've got you know they've got more than I've got they've got more faith look at some of the great speakers or or look at the pastors and you think you know they've got a great life and you know because they've got more faith they're living better because they believe more they've got more faith than I have no the bible says we've all been given the same a like measure each and every one of us has got the same amount of faith the difference is is are you pouring it out Are you using that faith? Are you letting it grow? Or are you keeping it in the little jar? That's what this lady learned. That's what God taught this lady. So, there's something else I wanted to... to, You know, sometimes we're too busy saying, I know what you're saying... It all makes perfect sense in an ideal world. But you don't know what I have to put up with. You don't know what's going on in my world. You don't know how ill I am or how somebody in your family is ill or, as I say, losing your job. Whatever situation, you don't know what my situation is. I could do that, but... This is the one time... And the only one time that the answer to the question, does my butt look big in this, is yes. Never use but 
I mean, we've all got big butts. And I don't want you all looking now, see. Yes, I have a big butt. I more ways than one, I guess. But never mind, I can diet. One day. The, there's a... That doubt, that bot, it's a doubt, it's a barrier. And there's another story in the Bible. And I'm just going to, you know, you know the story. We don't need to put it up. It's the story of Lazarus. So Mary and Martha, they send a message off to Jesus and say, you know, the one who you love is, is ill, he's sick, he's dying. Jesus doesn't go straight away. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days. Martha, first of all, says to Jesus, Oh, my Lord, if only you'd be near, my brother wouldn't have died. If only you would be near, my brother wouldn't have died. That's like saying, But now it's too late, he's dead. It's impossible. We know God works in the impossible. Martha should have known that. But she said, If only. That's a barrier. And you know, Murray said exactly the same thing. Um, I wrote it down. In verse 21 of John 11, Martha says, if only you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then later, in verse 32, Murray says exactly the same thing. You know, we, we very often compare Mary and Martha. We hear the story, don't we, in Luke, where Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She chose the better. Why Martha was busy doing you know, all the activities and cooking and cleaning and complaining. But actually in this book, John, he's saying both Mary and Martha had doubts. They both doubted because they both said, if only you'd have been here. See, they knew that Jesus could have saved Lazarus if he'd have come before he died. But no, that was doubt. That was a barrier, doubt, barrier number one. Barrier number two, which often happens as well, was a stone. See, he'd been dead, he died, and they'd roll the stone over the, the tomb. So that's another barrier, the stone. Now, Jesus said to the, the men there, move the stone, roll the stone away. He didn't go, stone be moved. He said, you, move the stone See, God won't do anything for you that you're capable of doing for yourself. Now, you might not be capable of doing the whole, but you can do your part. Whatever part that is, whatever little you might think it is, he wants you to do your part. We went to Hillsongs recently, and the, and the pastor there said, if you're waiting for God to do something and you're still waiting, it's probably because God's waiting for you to do your bit. You know, that spoke to me, you know, because I... I I'm still praying the same prayer. You know, and God's saying, well, get something done about it. I'm answering it. Start listening. You know, God's speaking to you even if you can't hear him. You, you know, when, when you, if you turn the TV off, the channels don't start broadcasting. If you turn off your listening ears, God doesn't stop speaking. So that's what we need to do. That's barrier number two, the stone and us needing to move it. Barrier number three, well, Lazarus was dead. 
there's a lovely, do you know, is it the King James Bible where it's, Martha says, he's been dead for, by, by now he stinketh. Because he'd been rotting in hot country. He was well and truly dead, very clear picture. You know, he hadn't just died, he wasn't just, just passed and looked all lovely and at peace. He'd been dead four days. Only God can move that barrier. You know, I can go and pray. You know, you hear of people praying over and people do come back to life. You know, we've heard it. Some people have seen it. But that's God doing it, not you. So only God can move that barrier. Barrier. What number am I up to? Four. Good, somebody's listening, thank you. Barrier number four is that Lazarus was in grave clothes, right? And again, what does Jesus say? Unwrap him, remove them. That's what God's saying to you. You know, if, you've got, if you know somebody who's in trouble and they're wrapped up in something that they shouldn't be wrapped up in, then you need to help them unwrap. You need to help them. God doesn't want us struggling. You know, we need to care for each other. Very often we get caught up in things. We get, as I say, we get wrapped up in something. It could be, we could be wrapped up in our own importance. We could be wrapped up in our problems. But whatever it is that we're wrapped up in, we need to help each other to unwrap. I have no idea where I'm up to. Do you know, I bring notes every time and I never know what I'm doing with them. So I don't know why I bother. So let's just forget that because I know what I'm talking about. You don't, I do. God, God you know, when we unwrap, then God will fill. That, that's, how, that's us using our oil. We help somebody to unwrap. You're using your oil to help them unwrap. And then... God will fill you more and more. And there's another story in the Bible, isn't there, where you know, the, the disciples, they, they, they had that gap and they had those barriers when, when Jesus died. You know, it was like all these miracles and all that he was doing and, and now he's dead. What do we do now? There's nothing. They, they started to lose heart. A number of them did lose heart. We know that Peter denied Jesus, didn't, don't we? They, you know, they were human beings. They were struggling with this situation because that's not how they expected it to pan out. They didn't expect that. They expected Jesus to go and say, no, this is wrong, sort this, get this sorted. I'll, you know, I'll lead the way. Maybe, maybe they expected a warrior. They got Jesus. And they, they weren't expecting that at all. And they experienced that gap and they felt lost until we're told at Pentecost, they went in that upper room. First of all, they closed the door. And then God filled them. As the, as the lady was pouring and filled the vessels, God filled the people with his spirit. Everybody was in that upper room. The door was closed. Their minds were focused. And God filled each and every one of them. You know the story... Uh, you know, they all were speaking in, in foreign tongues and it was just an amazing, you know, like we've had amazing worship. Well, it was that handsome. God filled them. 
They might have had barriers. They might have had doubts. They had big butts. But God filled them. And then he asks us to go and fill others, doesn't he? There are so many, so many examples. Just keep me on the time. So many examples in, in the Bible of where God's used a little and made it abundant. You know, the, the, one, the first one that comes to mind, isn't it, is the feeding of the 5,000. Little boy, it was his lunch. Five loaves, little loaves, and two little fish. You know, and even if we said it was five big loaves and two big fish, it's still not going to feed 5,000. But it was a small boy that had it, so we know it was a small lunch. But God made that abundantly blessed it because that boy gave the little that he had. You see, other people would have had lunch. His mum and dad certainly would have had lunch, or else he wouldn't have done, would he? But what we do is we think, I've only got enough for myself. And if I share this with you, then, you know, we'll only have a couple of bites each. It won't be, I'll still be starving. I've only enough for myself. But this little boy was saying, well, we'll have two bites each. It's better than me having four and you having none. He understood the giving and the sharing. And God increased that gift that little that this little boy had, that little that he had. And you know that boy wasn't counted in the 5,000. I've said this before. 5,000 men, it says, women and children weren't counted. This little boy was so insignificant, he wasn't even counted in the 5,000. Yet he was the one that was the catalyst that fed the 5,000. It was God that did the miracle. It was Jesus that, but he did it on the little boy, giving the little that he had. The little oil that that little boy had, Jesus used. And he'll use your little oil too. I don't know what your little oil is. Maybe maybe you don't know what your little oil is yet. Maybe you're still wondering. Because sometimes it's something as obvious as your lunch. It might be helping a neighbour out. It might be smiling to that lonely neighbour who lives across the road. And you see them and you wave to them as you're going to work each day. And you might never ever say a word to them. But that... It could be something as simple as that. But that will grow. Never underestimate the little that you have. Moses, God said to him, what's that, what have you got? What's that in your hand? It's a stick. Well, he said staff. Stick, staff. That's all Moses had. God said, it. okay, we'll use that. That staff, Moses, every miracle that was ever performed through Moses by God involved that staff. Whether it was with Pharaoh and casting it down and it becoming a snake or whether it was parting the Red Sea, that stick, that little that he had, God used mightily and it saved a whole nation. And, you know, there was one time in a war, there was a war going on and Moses was holding up his staff. And all the time that he had this held up, the Israelites was winning. The war was being won. But when he tired, because you try standing there for hours holding a staff, whether it's one hand, two hands, or keep swapping, you can't do it. You're going to... So he got so tired, and he needed help. He was using the little he had, but it was too much. He was too tired. He was trying his best. 
And he had Aaron and Ur come alongside him and help him. You see, you might need help. There's no shame. There's no shame. Moses needed help. So they helped him hold his hands up to keep the staff up in there and the war was won. So don't worry that you may need help. There's a story about a lady called Rahab. And the little oil that she had was she had the ability and was able to hide two spies. That was it. Oh yeah, you can hide behind my couch, under my bed, in my wardrobe, I don't know where they hid, but in a basket. You can hide here. That's that was all she could do. That was it. Not hard, really, that is it, but that's what she did. But because she did that, she saved, she was the catalyst that saved the whole of the Israelites. And into the bargain, because God always gives abundantly, she saved every member of her family. Because when, when it fell, everybody else was dead. Just Rahab and her family escaped. She used the little that she had. And as I've said, if you need help, there's no shame in that. It's okay. Remember, even Moses needed help with his little. And it's, it's a bit like if you've got a car with a flat battery. Have you ever done that? Has anybody been that driving along? You know, or may, maybe you've gone shopping, maybe you've left the lights on, I don't know. That's usually what I used to always do, leave the lights on. I remember one time sitting in the car, I was waiting to pick um, Wayne up, and uh, I was early. So I sat there, and I'd left the key and the ignition and the lights on while reading. And then I suddenly realised, you know, I parked a bit further away because I'm not waiting outside, you know. And when I went to start the car, dead as a dodo. So what do you need to do there? You need to ask for help. You need to either jump start your car, you know, somebody comes alongside you, they bring their car, you connect it all up. Have we got a picture? Because I don't know how you do it. But you get these, you get a battery, you connect their battery, the car is running, their engine's running, and they connect their battery to your battery somehow. And it jump-starts your car. And then if you go for a run, it charges your battery and you're okay. You see, it needed help. The battery needed recharging. Some of you may be so run down, you need help recharging. There's more than one way to, for a jump-start as well. You can have a couple of friends who are going to come and push the car. You know, because you might need somebody with a car and say, look, I can help you do this quick jump, and then off you go. Take it for a run and you recharge. It's just a little jump-start. You may need people, more people to help you, to push start you, and to keep you going. We all do. And, you know, that might be their oil that they're using. Their oil may be that they've got a full battery, that they can come and help charge you up, give you a jump start. It might be your oil that you can help someone else. That's what God wants us all to do. Use the little that you have because that little will just grow and it will keep on growing and we will be world changers, as Phil said this morning. By taking that one step, doing that one small thing, we will be world changers. 
and God will bless you because he'll increase your little to an abundant. Amen. Amen.